0: If you've got your uh, journey book, uh, I want to want you to grab that and take that out. We, um, I know, have not used it a lot of times, um, and I should have reminded you last week to bring it with you. Uh, There are a few out on the table if you want to grab them, or if you want to maybe look at it later on. Um, Today, we're going to be in part three part three of that book, and we're going to talk through some of uh, what's in there. And I'm not going to read all of it to you. Uh, I'm not going to insult your intelligence. You can read it on your own. But I want to highlight a few things. We won't always do that. Um, But uh, from time to time, it starts with a question. And we may use that and have you just interact with some people around you. Uh, But we want to start making use of that. And we've been going through this booklet. In part two, we talked about the relationships that Christianity is basically boiled down to relationships. Um, We used the table to illustrate those, excuse me, three relationships. The table of intimacy talks about our relationship with God. The table of communion, our relationship with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And the table of connection, um, meaning the people outside the body of Christ that we need to be connecting with. After all, Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. And as the Father sent me, so I send you. So your job, if you are a follower of Christ, is to seek and save the lost. I mean, doesn't that connect? Jesus, you this? Okay, yeah, it connects. And so how, the question we've been asking, how do we stay at these tables? It's not like we get up and leave. You never leave the table of intimacy. We are called to walk in intimate communion with the Father 24-7. Okay, so we stay at that table. Even in the presence of our enemies, he's prepared a table for us. But the table of communion, the table of connection, how can I be more constant at them? How can I be more aware? of? How can I connect with other people that need to be brought into the kingdom? How can I walk in communion with people that I see on Sunday but maybe don't see the rest of the week? But how can I sit at a table with them? How can I maybe connect with them or commune with them even as I go throughout the week? And those are the questions that we've been when been talking about. We're going to continue to talk about because we're going to repeat those three themes basically over and over and over as we go through the rest of uh, the journey booklet that we have. And so, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we're in Draw the Circle. And today, I think, fits so well with this idea of the Draw the Circle theme that we've been talking about. Um, Some of the quotes that I shared at the beginning of the service are going to tie into what I'm going to share with you here in just a moment. Last week, I started that series by talking about praying with chutzpah. And chutzpah is just a Hebrew word, a Hebrew term. It's actually a Middle Eastern term. Um, other people other than Hebrews use it. And it's about praying with a boldness, um, not a, an arrogance, uh, but it's far more than that. If you want to go back and listen to that message, you can find it online. But today I've titled this Getting to Know Him. Getting to Know Him. And I thought about um, <laughs> throwing in another Hebrew word because this, we're going to talk about another Hebrew word today, and it's the word yada. Yada. It's spelled, if you're taking notes, Y-A-D-A. Yada. If you know anything about the Hebrew language, there are no vowels. Everything's a consonant. So it's actually Y-D, and you just kind of fill in the consonants based on some of the markings. And so Yada literally means to know. And part three of the book asks what the basic goal of the Christian life is. And it boils it down to this idea that the ultimate goal, the basic goal of Christianity is to know God. It's to know God. John chapter 17, verse 3, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I went off of memory. I don't know if that's the version that's on the screen or not, but um, usually as a kid, I memorized everything in the NIV, but the NIV is constantly changing these days. And so um, all of the versions are really. And so this idea of Christianity is all about knowing God. It's all about walking with Him and, and building a relationship with Him. And it's a journey. Um, it's not about like, I just, I know God and I'm done. You never get to the place where we fully know him. And this Hebrew word yadah, the Hebrew language is more of a picture type of language. It it translates um, not necessarily meanings as much as it does pictures. Like in English, we're all about definitions. In Hebrew, it's all about a picture. It's all about a concept. So a word is, is more like a concept than it is a definition. So it's hard to communicate what that means. And so yada speaks of relationship. It speaks of experience. It speaks of commitment. It speaks of loyalty. It speaks of trust. And so all of that, you're going to see just a sampling of scriptures that talk about knowing God or what it is to know God, and all of those concepts are really going to be tied up in this word. And so when I say we're going to be getting to know God, it's more than just about getting information about God. It's more than just um, understanding His attributes and understanding His names and making all of these lists. It's about coming to know Him or experience Him in a way that transforms our lives and actually causes us to start imitating Him. This is what it is to know God. I don't know God just because I can spout off all the characteristics of God. I know God as I start acting like him. That's yada. It starts with learning mental information about him. But then that mental information becomes an experience. If you think of, of Abraham, when he was sacrificing his son Isaac on the mountain, he experienced God as Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Now, it's a whole lot easier for me to say, oh yeah, God's my provider. But if I have a knife raised over my only son, my heir, and I'm about to kill him, and God says, stop, and I look over and there's a ram caught in the thickets, I have experienced God as provider. I know him as provider a whole lot better now. And so whatever experience you have known, where God has come through in a moment when you needed something and he showed up, why do we journal? Because sometimes we forget how faithful God has been. And when you scroll through your journal, you're like, oh yeah, he provided there. Oh yeah, he provided there. People are like, that's emotionalism. Well, you know, so is depression. And if I read and rehearse the testimonies of what God does and it makes me feel better, praise God. But if I just sit and worry about all my problems and things that aren't going right, well, guess where my emotions are going to go? Yep, that way. You, you lead your emotions. They don't just come upon us. We lead them. Now, I, I, I get it. Sometimes we need some medication to help m- regulate some of the emotions in our lives. Absolutely. All in favor of that. But for most of us, the emotions that we experience on a daily basis really follow what our thought patterns are. And if we begin to be transformed by renewing our minds, our emotions will eventually begin to follow that. And so this Hebrew word yadah shows up first in Genesis chapter 4. Now, I really had to search for a good translation because they all wanted to change this. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. That's the word yadah. Adam yadad Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now, the NIV, the NLT, all of these other translations have said Adam made love to his wife, Adam had sexual relations with his wife, they've changed it because they're trying to make it more contemporary and I mean we understand what yada means there but it's still the word for no and so some of your strict translations like the ESV are going to keep that word no they're not going to tell you that it means that so that's sometimes why there's differences in the translations so then we go over to Genesis chapter 22 verse 12 and this is what i just referenced Abraham is about to to sacrifice Isaac, and God says, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, informationally, God already knew beforehand that Abraham was going to do this. Okay, He knows the end from the beginning. So why does God say, now I know? Because the Hebrew word "yada" know, is not about mental information. So God does not know Abraham, even though he mentally knows. He doesn't know it until he experiences it with Abraham. That's what knowing is all about in the scripture. You have to experience it for God to know it. Um, It's not like God's like, oh, I had to learn something. God doesn't have to learn anything. But he experiences it with us. It's partnership. This is what God is after with human beings created in his image to do his will on earth. To do it together with us. This is what God has always wanted. In Exodus chapter 16 verse 12. The people were grumbling, and so God says, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. They're hungry. They want to go back to Egypt. There was food there. And God says, tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will yada, that I am the Lord your God. Now here's the thing. They already know he's the Lord their God. They've already seen the miracles. They've already been delivered out of Egypt. They saw all the plagues and all of those were building. So what what this is showing us is you never get to the place where you need to stop experiencing God and knowing that he's God. You can't just have a something that you repeat, a mantra that you say over and over, it needs to become an experiential thing. This is why we carve out time to read the Word every day. This is why we carve out time to just quiet ourselves and, and listen to what the Lord is saying, because it's not enough that I know it, I've got to experience it with Him. This is why we go to a worship service together. This is why we have prayer meetings. This is why we do these things. Because it's not enough to just have the facts about God. I've got to experience him. It's a yada type of moment. And no matter how many times I yada him, tomorrow I'm going to grumble and complain. I mean, think about it. These people have seen miracles. The the Red Sea has parted. The Egyptian army has drowned. And the next day, they're grumbling, wanting to go back to Egypt. And don't be too hard on them because you and I are just as guilty. We sometimes walk out of a worship service, oh, that was so good. And the service at our restaurant is so bad that we're just like, and we're just vomiting all over everybody around us because of our, the words and the stuff that's just coming out of us. We are just as guilty of that. I need to yada God at every moment. When you bow your head to pray at the table, it should never be out of rote. It should always be an invitation. God, I'm inviting you in this moment to fill this table, to fill this room. You get in the car, God, you're with me. Thank you for being with me right now. It's an acknowledgement all the time that he is with me. The idea of Yada experiencing him is so that they, if you go on in this passage, they learn that they, they do not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's not, God's not a cosmic genie. It's not about him just giving you bread. It's not about just him getting you the money to pay your bills. It's not just about God showing up to meet your, your circumstantial needs. It's the fact that you need to recognize that everything comes from him. He's your provision. He is your provision. Otherwise, you, we just start praying and asking for requests, and we treat God like a genie rather than a, as a partner in building his kingdom. That's what prayer is all about. Psalm 4610 will, will lead us into that. He says, be still, literally that means cease striving, and know that I am God. Yada, know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Before you start scrolling through Facebook, or before you start uh, watching Fox News or CNN, or before you start doing all that stuff, be still and know that He is God. Okay, frame everything you hear from any source, news-wise, through the lens of He will be exalted. Okay? And then you can listen all you want. And then He can lead you and guide you to make decisions. But too many of us are watching it, and then we're reacting to what we're hearing rather than responding to what we're hearing. The reason that we're told to take a Sabbath, by the way, is because in a Sabbath, we recognize that He's at the controls, not me. I believe Genesis chapter 1, I've shared this with you many times, is not a it is not given to us so that we can know exactly materially how God created the world. That God did it exactly the way that He says that it happened in Genesis chapter 1. I don't think that's why it was written. I think it's more along the lines of functional origin. God did Absolutely, God created everything. He created it with His Word. Absolutely, that's confirmed throughout Scripture. But how He did it, I don't know that we know, and I don't know that we need to know. The fact that He did do it is all we need to know, and that He put together an ordered universe because He intended to dwell in a throne room called Eden on the earth. And God has always been looking for a place to dwell on the earth with the people created in his image so that as partners they can do his will on the earth. That's what this is all about. And now when God rested on the Sabbath, he did not stop working in the sense that he needed to take a break or chill. As we've talked about, that word to enter his rest meant he he ascended to his throne and he sat at the controls of all that he had made. It's like God stepped back. He said, it's done, it's good. And he sat down and he took the controls of the earth and there he goes. Now, when you and I are called to rest, we're not called to sit at the controls. (laughs) We're actually called to step back and remember he's at the controls. I don't need to work harder. I can take a day and I can step back. In fact, one of the most arrogant things we can do, hate to say this because this is something I'm so guilty of. One of the most arrogant things we can do is work seven days a week and never break. Because we never step back and realize he's at the controls. It's not about me. Now, you can religiously take a Sabbath and still be arrogantly in control of your own universe. Like, it's not about just Sabbathing, okay? It's about learning to step back and recognize, Because I, I don't want anybody that feels like they're in a position where they have to work financially seven days a week to feel like you can't please God in that. No, it's, it's really all about posture, not necessarily about the actual letter of the law, if you will. And so making sure that we are still and recognize and know that He is God. That's an experiential thing. And you can't do it without stopping. You can't know that he is God without the rest, the Sabbath. That's what it's all about. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, he will flatter, the enemy will flatter and win over those who have violated the covenant. But the people who yada know their God, will be strong and will resist him. See, Hebraically, this word is to to know the Lord, is to recognize and accept His authority over our lives. It's a commitment to Him. So I can't say I know the Lord if I don't let Him have authority over my life. I don't care if I've said a sinner's prayer and asked Jesus to forgive me of all my sins and come into my heart. If I have not accepted His Lordship over my life, I do not know Him. That's how I know Him, I, I give Him control. Look at this, it's contrasted with people who violate the covenant. If we violate the covenant, we do not know him, and we will be destroyed, ultimately, we'll be led astray. But the people who know their God, it's not just the people who memorize scripture verses, it's the people who experientially walk with him. They memorize scriptures, but those scriptures are transforming their heart and mind. They're not just bullets that they use every once in a while to throw out at someone else who's not living right. It's things that are piercing their own heart so that their own character is shaped. That's what is being taught here in Daniel chapter 11. Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk says the earth will be filled with the knowledge, same root word, yada, of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There is a time coming where God's presence will permeate experientially every part of this planet again. I mean, technically it already does, <laughs> It's just the awareness of it is not there for everybody. But there will come a day where everybody will be aware again of the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of the Lord. In John chapter 8, taking this into the New Testament, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will, yada, except now in Greek, know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Can I tell you, knowing the truth is not just memorizing Bible verses. To know the truth is to experience truth. And it's more than just Bible verses, because Jesus himself is the truth. You have to hold to his teaching. It's not just I memorize it, but I put it into practice. If, if I experience truth, if I know it, I experience it and I begin to walk it out, I will be set free. That's the path to truth. And sometimes people just memorize Bible verses and they, they think just by memorizing the Bible verse, that's all I need to do. And then I can just use it and I'll just, I'll just keep using it, but they never find freedom. It's not just about learning the Bible verse, it's about learning how to put the Bible verse into practice. And if you're putting yourself into compromising situations and you're not applying that verse to to, to cut things off or to, to put up some parameters in your life, you're not going to find freedom. You have to walk it out. That's the complete idea of just knowing. It's not about just something we can do mentally. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, the Apostle Paul, as he's praying for the church in Ephesus, says, May you experience. Now, the New Living Translation puts the word experience there, but it is the word know. May you know the love of Christ. It's not about, oh, I know God loves me. Yes, I've memorized the verse that I I know. You have to experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. It, when you do this, you will be made complete with all of the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I mean, how many of us want to be full of all of the life and power that comes from God? <laughs> Me? Well, then you have to experience the love of Christ. What does that look like? Well, that might mean being still, knowing that He's God. It might mean making some changes to my life so that I commit to following what He's asked me to do. It may mean a whole lot of things. It may mean that I don't retaliate against someone. It may mean that I'm merciful the same way that He's been merciful to me. And all of this ties together. It's a journey. It's not like one day you surrender your life to the Lord, you know it all. (laughs) It's a journey. I don't care if you've walked with the Lord for 85 years. There is still more yada to happen. Like you never exhaust who he is. You can always come to know him. The Apostle Paul, who had visions of the third heaven and had I mean, gave us most, most of our, the books in our New Testament. Philippians chapter three: "I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I do too. Why? Because whenever someone wrongs me, I want my n- initial reaction to be mercy. I do. Do you know what? When someone wrongs me, my initial reaction is pretty ugly. It is. It doesn't always come out of my mouth. Sometimes I exercise enough self-control that it stays inside, but it's there. It's, th- it's there. But I want to get to the place where I know him so well, I imitate him so well, that kindness is my, my initial response. I don't know if I can get there before Jesus comes, but that's where I want to strive. That should be where all of us want to strive. I want to experience, I don't want to experience just the mighty power for miracles. I want the mighty power for the miracle of the tongue. Because if you can control your tongue, James says, you you are perfect in every way. It's like you've reached the, the, the pinnacle. The pinnacle is the ability to control our tongue and just to to be so transformed that that's our initial reaction. Man, I want to go there. Because if you, as you strive for that, other stuff is going to happen along the way. Maybe the power to raise the dead is going to happen along the way. Because I think it's actually easier to raise the dead than to control your tongue. I do. I think it is. And that's what Paul is talking about. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I want to experience the resurrection from the dead. What we read this morning, it's not just, I want to pray, God, get me out of this tough situation. God, get me a different job where I don't have a boss that's always so hard on me. God, get me out of this. Get me out of that. As if God wants everything in our lives to be absolutely perfect and still and peaceful and uh, the circumstances of our life. And it has nothing to do with the inner turmoil of my own heart. The selfishness of my own heart that needs to be dealt with. The character of my own heart that needs to be changed. After all, my circumstances around me, my spouse, my job, my kids, my family, my neighbors, my this, my that, my, it's all the, it's that stuff. If all of that stuff would change, I would be fine. All right? right. <laughs> and God says... I don't want all that to change for you to be fine. I want you to be fine with all that stuff. I want you to know that I'm with you. That you're going to walk through hardship. But there I am. And that doesn't mean we don't pray for those circumstances to change. But we don't need them to change for this to change. That's the way I want to know Him. So in our books, how do we come to know God? They give us three steps that we have to know. God must reveal himself. We have to believe what he has revealed in faith. And we must spend time with the one that has been revealed to us. So those are the three things. That's how we get to know God. So God has to be the one to initiate this. Can I tell you? God has already initiated it. In Acts chapter 17, it says, God did this. The Apostle Paul talking to the the church, well, to the people in Athens. They weren't a church, they were people in Athens. He said, God did this so that people would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from any one of us. For in Him, we live and move and have our being. God has already done everything necessary for people to encounter Him. The booklet goes on to talk about how God has revealed Himself. He's revealed Himself through through creation. You don't even need to read Genesis chapter 1. You just need to look around at creation, and it screams Creator. There's absolutely no way that you can reason in your mind that all of this is chance. (laughs) You have to suppress truth to do that because creation itself screams creator. Now, you may not know everything about him, but you know there's a creator. Even scientists that are atheists now believe in intelligent design. Like, there's just no way this can be random. I mean, they won't go as far as to say it's a god but something had to happen to be an intelligent design because there's no way. Creation screams it out. Our conscience tells us there's a God. Again, God has put this within our hearts. The Bible teaches us if, if you just stop and think, your own conscience will testify that there's a creator, that there's a God. You have to suppress truth to deny that. The way we are born, we are born with it. Sin, nature, and all. Creation, conscience, cries out there's a God. Okay? It's a part of our DNA. It's a part of our makeup. He's revealed himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came as the exact representation of the Father. We know who God is because we see Jesus. And Jesus lived totally in line with Scripture, and yet he showed us how humans were supposed to live from the beginning. He's our perfect example of how we now are supposed to live on this earth accomplishing God's will, bringing God's kingdom. And then also God has revealed himself through the canon of Scripture. We have what we call the Bible, this collection of books that from beginning to end tells about who God is, the character of God, how he relates to human beings, what his plan has always been for humankind to be his partners with. He's always wanted a temple to dwell in. First it was Eden, then it was a tabernacle in the wilderness, then it was a temple in Jerusalem, and now it's every person who puts faith in Christ because of that, because of the blood that can cover us through the death of Jesus Christ. Now God himself, by the Holy Spirit, takes up residence in us wherever we go. We are his temple. Man, that is some exciting news. And we come to know him. He's revealed himself. There's no excuse for not knowing God. There's so much that reveals who he is. But not only that, but we have to believe what he has revealed. We cannot just come to the place where we mentally believe it, but we have to experience it. The book will actually go on in a paragraph we're not going to talk about, but you can read more about this on your own in day, day three, about what this looks like. Belief is not just, I believe there's a God. Even the demons believe there's a God and they tremble. But demons do not obey God. You have to start acting on your faith. If God is God, then you do what He says. You trust Him. You yield to Him. You surrender to Him. And so then they talk about spending time with Him. But don't think about spending time with God as doing your devotions. That's a great place to start. But spending time with God is just learning to be aware that He is there every moment of every day. He is there. He's with you at work. He's with you in the car. He's with you at home. He's with you when you don't think anyone else is looking. He's there. And He's not there looking over your shoulder trying to get you to do it, or trying to catch you doing something wrong. He's there to try to get you to do it right. Not because he's an egomaniac, but because he designed you, and he knows if you do it wrong, it leads to death, but if you do it right, it leads to life. It leads to fulfillment. It leads to peace. It leads to hope. Do you know that if you you have an affair, just the stress of having an affair and hiding it all of the time can create actually things in your body, whether it's an actual affair or it's just pornography. It can actually affect your physical being to the point that you can become very sick. That's crazy. We weren't made to hide. We were made to be open. We were made to walk in the paths that are right. They lead to life. When Jesus called his disciples, remember the word I introduced to you last week, the Talmudim? That means disciple in Hebrew. That Jesus wasn't saying, hey, come to my Sunday school class. Hey, I'm going to meet over here by the Sea of Galilee like uh, every day for a a couple hours and then you can go back home. No, you come 24-7, you follow your rabbi, the Talmudim. That's what it is. You, You follow him everywhere he goes. You sleep where he sleeps. You eat where he eats. You go where he goes. That's how you learn to be a follower, an imitator of Jesus. And so God knew that all of us couldn't all follow him all the time, so he put his spirit in us, so everywhere we go, he goes. But you get to still sit at the controls, or you can yield them and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do here today? I mean, Holy Spirit, I have a list of things that I need at Walmart today. But anything you want to do while I'm in here, I'm open. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. Because usually when I go to Walmart, I got like five minutes. And I can get that list in five minutes and get out as long as no one talks to me. So you just look down and you go but wherever we go, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do today, I'm in. Man, that is a dangerous prayer because this is the idea. We as human beings, it's all about knowing him and making him known. Knowing him and making him known. The making him known part has to flow out of knowing him. It's not about taking a personal evangelism class. It's not about learning, you know, the, the 10 steps to, you know, share your faith with your friends. It's not about all of these things that we can do. They're not bad things. But we, we try to memorize these methods and things that we're going to do. And, and, and then we just, uh, with fear and trepidation, just try to do them. And, you know, if you die tonight, do you know where you would go? And, uh, and we do, if we just get, if we just start encountering him more, it comes out comfort others with the comfort you have received freely you've received freely give there are so many passages of scripture that it's all about what comes in goes out it's not about just memorization it's about yada it's about experience and if you learn to experience him 24/7 but without even thinking about it your coworker's going to say hey what you doing and you're going to say man i was just sitting here thinking about how good god is oh i'm sorry we're at work I mean, I'm not telling you don't do your work, but you can do your work and think about how good God is at the same time. Man. And so when you yada, when you experience him, when this happens in our lives, it flows out of us. See, Hebrews, we're going to go into this next week. I'm going to introduce it to you today. Hebrews believe that the kingdom of God comes with three steps. I shouldn't call them steps because Hebrews don't believe in steps. (laughs) But there are three components, if you will, to the kingdom of God showing up in your life, in our church, in our city. One, the finger of God has to move. The finger of God has to move. If you remember Jesus saying, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. I mean, it takes the finger of God to move. Can I tell you something? God has already moved. He is currently moving and he will always move. So if the kingdom is not in an area, in a place, in your home, (laughs) it's not God. Okay? He is, he's everywhere. It's the recept, it's the other parts that, that are the problem. The problem is never with God. God is always moving. Okay? Number two, we have to acknowledge God. We have to call him Lord. This is where we actually make a decision and we state he's Lord of my life. I mean, you can call it whatever you want. A sinner's prayer. You can call it uh, surrendering your life to Him. I don't care what you call it or how you do it. it ha- it's, it's a step. You have to acknowledge Him as Lord. Now, many of us in the church, we do this. We acknowledge Him as, as Lord, but we have, we have problems with the, the third one, is, and it's our obedience. Matthew chapter 7, it's not on the screen, but it clearly states, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. We automatically think He's talking about you know future heaven what if he's talking about entering the the kingdom's not going to come in your life if you don't do the will of the father i believe that's what jesus meant if you want the kingdom to come where you are because everywhere he went the kingdom came he said the kingdom is at hand you have to acknowledge him as lord and you have to do the will of the father you have to be obedient now I'm not saying if you're not perfectly obedient, the kingdom can't show up. That's not it. But we have to set our hearts on obedience. We can't rationalize. We can't reason. We can't ignore. We can't rebel. Okay? The opposite of knowing God is not ignorance. It's rebellion. Okay? We cannot rebel. We cannot know what is the right thing to do and not do it. That is sin. And expect the kingdom to show up. Now, the, thing, the flip side of this is there are lots of people out in the world that are doing all kinds of good things. Uh, you know, they're doing charity work, and they're, doing, they're, they're fighting for, like, social justice. They're doing all kinds of great stuff. But can I, and, and don't stop. I mean, there's nothing wrong with helping and serving people. Please do it. But without the acknowledgement of the king, it's not kingdom work. And, now, that doesn't mean I have to, like, preach a sermon as I do the work, I just have to be a representative of the king. He has to be the king of my life, and then I do his work. King, work. The kingdom comes. That's what it takes to bring the kingdom. The finger of God, which is always moving, acknowledgement of Lord, and then obedience to him. And so the rest of this talks about how you can spend time with God, how you can get to know him. And I would encourage you, uh, read through it, make some notes in it, I want to share one last scripture uh, with us before we end for today. But as you go through that book, um, you will never stop exhausting who God is. You will never come to the place where you know Him fully. Uh, This is a journey. And the reason the book is called Journey is because we're on a journey. And that journey is all about knowing Him, experiencing Him. But in John chapter 5, Jesus is having a conversation with the religious leaders. And this is what He says. You search the scriptures... Because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Can I tell you something? The Bible is not our life. This book is inspired, it's the Word of God, it's authoritative, it's constant, it doesn't change, it's powerful it's living, it's active. But we can come to a place where we exalt this book to a place over the God of the book. This is always meant to bring me into an encounter with the one that can change me. He uses this to change me. But without him, this is dangerous. There are many people throughout history, these religious leaders, being the beginning, who have used this book without experiencing the God of the book in a bad way. They have used this to harm others in the name of the Lord. Be careful that you use this book to encounter the God of the book. Let him speak to you through the book. It's not about, yeah, I just checked off my my devotion. I read it today. I did my, my Christian duty. If you're not pausing, and and allowing the book to marinate, and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak, this becomes one of the most dangerous things you can do, a Bible study. Because it can actually close your heart towards God. That's what Jesus is saying. You're, you're, You're studying this because you believe it has life, but you refuse to come to me where you're going to get life. Jesus had the same, a similar conversation with the Sadducees when they came to him, and they said, you, they tell him this funny story about the, you know, this, this man dies and, you know, his, he didn't have any children, so his brother marries, and then he dies and doesn't have any children, the brother marries and marries all these brothers, and then the, the wife dies. Now, which wife, who's she going to be in the, the resurrection? And Jesus looks at these people that are supposed to have studied the Scripture, and he says to them, um, I, can you put that last Scripture slide up? He says to them, Your mistake is that you don't know the Scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. Isn't that funny? Like the people who had dedicated their lives to knowing this book, which they only had the first covenant back then, but to knowing that he says to them, you don't know the Scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels of heaven. But now he goes on to say whether the dead will be raised because the Sadducees don't think there's a resurrection. Have you ever read about this in the writings of Moses? (laughs) They've memorized the writings of Moses. That's the irony here. Have you ever read about this in the writings of Moses? The story of the burning bush. Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is the God of the living, not the dead. You've made a serious error. I mean, if there was a mic drop, that was the moment. I mean, these people had memorized this. How many hundreds of times have they heard this? And yet they had still developed a theology that there's no resurrection. And right there, I mean, it doesn't say there is, there is a resurrection. But when you let the Word of God, like when you let the Spirit breathe on it, and marinate on it, and you study it, and you do due diligence with it. Not like, well, I only got five minutes today. What can I do? Oh, let me just, oh, I need a verse. I need, a, I need a promise to put on my dashboard so that I can say it. And those things aren't wrong. They're just not enough. They're not enough. And the reason most of us don't find freedom is we treat this book like A list of things that we're supposed to do or check off, and we stopped encountering the God of the book. And we've got to let that book transform us. So today, when we started the service, I talked about, is there maybe uh, a script that needs to be rewritten in our lives? Maybe the way we study this book. Maybe the way we're praying. Maybe most of our requests are so selfish, and we're not, uh, we're not even stopping to say God is there something you want to do is there something I need to learn in this moment is there something you you want you that needs to change in my character my perspective I mean I've been praying for my boss to change because my boss has such a bad attitude and maybe it's not my boss that needs to change maybe it's me I mean maybe if I change that'll open the door for him to change huh maybe God maybe that's what you want to do And so as we start using this book not just as the end but as the doorway to encounter the God that can transform us. That's what this was meant for. And now we're using it to tell which political party is the right political party or which end times philosophy is the right end times philosophy or which this is. Because these arguments have been happening since the time Jesus walked the earth. They're not new. I can take you through every Season of history, and I can show you what's happening today has always happened before. It's not new. But the people who, yada, know their God, will stand firm and they will resist Him. They will not be flattered, they will not be led away, and they will not be deceived. So today, I want to end our service by saying a simple prayer for you. And it's a prayer that actually comes from Ephesians chapter three. It's the prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed over the Ephesians church. And I actually alluded to it earlier because in it Paul talks about experiencing or knowing the love of Christ. And my prayer as you go through this week, as we go through Draw the Circle, as we just spend time in prayer, spend time in the word, that you more and more learn to encounter God. That you use this book to root you Because if God reveals himself to you in a way that contradicts this book, well, we know that's not him. This helps to ground me. But this book needs to lead me to him. Because the transformation that needs to happen, I can't do it without him. God, your word says this. That's not how I feel. That's not how I'm wired. I think I need some rewiring. Amen. And so if you would, I'm gonna ask you to put your arms out in front of you in a receiving posture. I want to pray this prayer over you. And then I'm going to dismiss you've been patient, you've been kind, you've been attentive. The cold air has helped you to stay awake most of you. And so but here it is. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. God, thank you that we can come right now into your presence because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I pray for each one that's here today. God, each one that is watching online, that we would not lose heart, but that we would continue to press into you. Father, creator of everything in heaven and on earth, I pray that from your glorious unlimited resources, that you would empower us with inner strength through your spirit, so that Christ will make his home in our hearts as we trust in him, so that our roots will go down deep into the soil of your love and keep us strong. May we have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is. And may we experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand, so that we would be made complete with all of the fullness and life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. 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 That's my prayer for you this week. That's Ephesians chapter three. I'd encourage you pray that prayer for yourself every day this week. Before you get into the word, pray that prayer and then spend some time in his word. Pray that prayer when you're driving to work. And so that would be a great one to write down.